DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that faith's past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. In this episode, Archbishop George Lucas continues the conversation on the Apostolic Exhortation by Pope Francis, Gaudete et Exaltate. Rejoice and be glad. We will conclude the discussion we began in our last episode on what Pope Francis terms contemporary Gnosticism and contemporary Pelagianism. We then continue on with an exploration of Pope Francis' teachings on the Beatitudes in what Pope Francis terms the signs of authentic holiness in today's world. We now continue the conversation with Archbishop George Lucas. Now, the term Gnosticism or Gnostic is one that people may have heard before, primarily because of fascination with the Gnostic Gospels. But Pelagianism, Pelagianism is not a term we hear bantered about at all. Well, I suppose, but in some ways it's the most common thing for us to fall into because it's the temptation to think that that I can earn God's favor by my good works or by following a certain set of rules or, you know, meeting certain standards. Connected to that is that God expects me to do that. So, you know, that God's waiting for me to fulfill a certain number of good works or keep the commandments a certain number of times or that when I sin, God's deducting points and withdrawing his favor, perhaps, all because of my actions, but I'm either proficient or deficient, you know, that those things have an effect. Again, in our culture, you know, we're, so many things are merit-based and uh, look at, at ourselves and at others in a utilitarian fashion often. So what can somebody do? What can they perform? What's their test score? What's their earning potential? All of those things, part of our secular culture. It's easy for that to bleed into our understanding of faith. So what's wrong with it? Well, again, nothing wrong with trying to do our best. And God has planted within us this desire to grow and to, he invites us to use our, our talents and, and our gifts, not just for ourselves, but for others. But the initiative for holiness comes from God. God alone is holy. If there's a call to holiness, it's a call to be drawn into the life of the Trinity and to share the life of grace. But that's only possible with God's initiative. And God is not stingy with that initiative. Again, I think that's what what the Pope wants us to see. God looks on on us with love. God approaches us with mercy. In Jesus, we see really that God leads with mercy. It wasn't anything, any human striving. It wasn't any uh, fulfilling any amount of laws or precepts that merited the gift of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's sort of at the heart of it, what's wrong with with the Pelagian sense. The fact that I've got to get God's attention, I've got to keep God's attention. I've got to make sure I don't slip up or God won't love me. 
Well, of course, I don't want to slip up because my sins are not good for me and they're not good for other people. I learned that on the path of holiness. See that more and more. When the Holy Father invited us to participate in the Jubilee of Mercy several years ago, what he was really inviting us to understand is that the moments when we fall and when we are deficient and when by our striving, we either can't quite make it or we really stumble badly or make a wrong choice, a, a willful decision. It's there that in Jesus, God draws closest to us and wants to be with us right there, not because we're so pleasing, but because he loves us so much and, and wants to give us the healing that at that moment we need. I couldn't help recalling the passage from the Acts of the Apostles that involves Simon the Magician and how Simon the Magician wanted to have this power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And surprisingly, St. Peter says to him, no, 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 this is not for you because your heart is not right. The desire you have is the wrong desire. The approach you have is the wrong approach, essentially. I'm paraphrasing that, of course. Pope Francis will later address this in this need to listen carefully to what's going on inside of your heart. Essentially, it's discernment. You have to be able to listen. What is it that is motivating me to want to have these things? Is it something I want, or is it something that God desires for me to have? And there can be that difference, and that can be a very big problem, can it? Discernment is very important. Again, not surprising from a Jesuit pope. He would invite us into discernment uh, about these things. That's why it's important if we're able to have a spiritual director or a regular confessor or a trusted friend or if we're open to just listening, as people are able to do with these podcasts, to be drawn a little bit out of ourselves and into a deeper understanding of how God operates. So that you may be falling into these tendencies, Pelagian tendency, you know, we don't call it that necessarily, but it's this striving or trying to earn something, that we can hear and see within ourselves that this is misguided. It's maybe close to something good, but it's, we're being pulled off of the path that really leads to the fruitfulness, the, the holiness that God's designed for us. That really is our deepest desire. So we don't want to be totally passive. The Lord calls, he waits for a response. We're not just swept along in a, in a tide of holiness. We participate willingly, actively in that. And we want to practice virtue. We want to grow in holiness. St. Paul compares this life of holiness to kind of an athletic endeavor, to a race, you know, so we want to stay in the race. We want to give it our all. But then sometimes we go overboard. Sometimes it becomes a compulsion or it becomes my project instead of my participating in God's project. And that's where our own discernment and some, often with the help of a spiritual guide, it's important for us to see, well, okay, I've sort of pushed God out of the way. I didn't even realize I was doing it, but once I can't see it and realize it, then I can step back onto the path where God is God and I'm God's beloved son, you're God's beloved daughter, and then we can receive grace and act in concert with God's action, with God's design and not have it somehow my project to save myself or to make sure that other people get saved, which is what these heresies kind of draw us into. Both of these heresies that he mentions are easy to fall into. It's ultimately a paradigm of heart. You know, for example, to be very practical in this, a parent has a child, and there is a need for us to realize that this is not my child, this is God's child that I was blessed to have in my life in order to serve him through my response in love to this child, as opposed to 
I want kids. I want a family. I'm going to have two children, and they belong to me. It really is an important paradigm and understanding that we should have in our hearts, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A, there's a great example of what you give there of, of really what the Pope is asking us to consider, that husbands and wives, mothers and fathers are called to holiness. So there, it's marriage, having children, it's a natural institution, say the family, but it's been raised to the special dignity by the sacrament of marriage, but always has had great dignity in, in God's design. So God needs to be God of the family. Jesus Christ needs to be Lord of our relationships. At the same time, he's inviting us to, to have an effect. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, not for nothing, but so that we can grow in holiness ourselves, but also have an effect, bring the warmth, the light, the joy of the gospel to others, particularly those who are given in our special care. As spouses are given to each other by God, as children are, are given to the parents. So we never want to get into or think we can get into or in between the relationship that a spouse or a child has with God and God has with that person. At the same time, God has put us there in his divine plan so that we can be his instrument and and have an effect on others. So back to discernment. You know, at what moment do I say to God, God, these are your children. I've done everything I can. Or where do I say, you know, I need to exert a little more influence or I need to enforce some good order here in the household or, or in the family because this is where God has put me and people's welfare is at stake if I don't do it. Not always so clear. Married couples and, and parents have a big responsibility, but a great opportunity to grow in holiness. And I think that's what the Pope would want couples and, and families to realize. This is the exact place where holiness is being offered and where it's being accepted and sort of the practical parts that are, are being lived and, and worked out. In that chapter three, In the Light of the Master, he gives us, doesn't he, a very practical way of growing in this holiness by once again representing to us the model of the spiritual program, essentially living a life of the Beatitudes. They are our benchmarks, aren't they? They are what we're to strive for. If I'm called to be a saint, but with my own personality in my own place, how do I want others to to think of me? How do I want them to see me? Well, as someone like Jesus, who's poor in spirit, who's meek, who's a peacemaker. So these are not the descriptions of people who are strivers and high achievers in a worldly sense. But those who have agreed, allow themselves, ourselves, to to become more in conformity with uh, the person of Christ, who is inviting us to both to follow him and to imitate him. And Jesus has given these to us in in the Gospels very explicitly. Again, not something for us to be afraid of or to think, oh boy, I hope I'm like that someday. But as at the end of every day, to maybe examine our lives and see how did I resemble the first beatitude, how about the second one? Were, you know, were there opportunities today to grow more in that area or this area that, that the beatitude names and offers? They really would serve as a great examination of conscience, wouldn't they, the beatitudes? Looking back throughout the day, was there an opportunity to comfort those who mourn? It, was there an opportunity to feed the hungry or to be merciful? I might just realize, no, I missed this opportunity here, here, and here. They were presented to me, and I walked away. I, I messed up. Do I see now, as I look back, there was an opportunity for me to be a peacemaker or an opportunity in this exchange with a person to uh, exhibit meekness as Jesus would, you know, so not, not to be wishy-washy. So we don't beat ourselves up about that, but Jesus is inviting us to grow into a woman or a man who could be described that way. So I say, well, maybe I'm going to be more alert tomorrow. So 
especially in the relationship with this person where I think I might have been able to respond differently or in a more fulsome way in terms of, of the Beatitudes so that I can practice it more, practice in a, in a good sense, in a, in a rich sense. Because the, I hope we would all think if, we're, if we are responding to Jesus' call to discipleship, as we look at the list of Beatitudes, we could say, I, I wish that more described me. And so we pray for the grace to grow into that more, but then we also practice it. Pope keeps reminding us this is done in practical ways in our daily life. So I look at the ways that I may have the opportunity to grow where where somebody might be giving me that opportunity or that challenge, and then I try to take it up. You'll essentially sum this up in the subsection termed the great criterion, which is Matthew chapter 25. Many will say, Lord, Lord, but I won't know them because they did not feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the poor, visit the imprisoned, welcome the stranger. And while we might strive to be able to see that not only in the hearts of our families and also in the areas where we might find ourselves like the workplace, our neighborhood, there are pastors and parish staff members at parishes around the world that are just waiting for people to come to them to say, how can I help? Because they see the need in in an even greater way than we do. And through them, we can help respond to that call as well. Yeah, you make a good point. Jesus wouldn't have given us this clear expectation that this is, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, if you're going to have life in me, if you're going to grow in holiness, there are some practical ways that need to be part of that. And so he wouldn't say we need to do these things. We need to feed the hungry and and give shelter to the homeless if you weren't expecting us to do it. So we should never say, well, you know, that's really not a problem in my neighborhood or in my family. Everybody's got enough to eat or everybody's clothed. Probably not, first of all. No matter where we're sitting at this moment, there are people not very far from us who are struggling with some real material needs. But there may very well be a prison close by. There probably are families not too far from me, maybe families that I know who may have a family member in, who's in prison, or certainly someone who's sick. Somebody may really be burdened with the care of a sick family member struggling, you know, to meet that challenge day by day. The invitation to us is to be alert, to look around for the opportunities. And it's fine to say, if, you know, a hungry person knocked on my door, I'll give them a sandwich. Uh, We should. But there may be a a need and opportunity very close to me. And Jesus is telling us, the Pope reinforces it always, he is again here, for us to kind of look beyond our immediate circle to those on the periphery. It may not be very far away. And to believe that our response to the call to holiness involves these practical uh, responses to other people. In chapter 3, he will talk about ideologies that strike at the heart of the gospel. He'll say, on the one hand, there is the error of those Christians who separate these gospel demands from their personal relationship with the Lord, from their interior union with him, from openness to his grace. He warns us that Christianity thus becomes a sort of NGO, which is in Europe, that's nonprofit organization, an NGO that is stripped of the luminous mysticism so evident in the lives of St. Francis of Assisi, St. Vincent de Paul, St. Teresa of Calcutta, and many others. For these great saints, mental prayer, the love of God, and the reading of the gospel in no way detracted from their passionate and effective commitment to their neighbors, quite the opposite. 
there is a real subtle danger when we put work before the relationship, the working response before the engagement and relationship. Right. The church is more than a human society, and it's more than a group of people who band together to do good things. Well, we hope we're doing good things, but we are responding to the call of Jesus Christ and to the initiative of our Heavenly Father to save us in and through Jesus. So we're incorporated into him, and then really what we are involved in in the world day by day, because the Lord sends us into the world, is intimately connected with who we are. So what we do and who we are, all part of the same truth, we might say. We see sort of a pattern of discipleship, that's another way of looking at it, that when Jesus called those who he wanted to be his disciples, he continues to do that today with you and me. First thing he invites us to do is have a deep relationship with him, to know him personally, to spend time with him, to really have our identity established in our friendship, in our relationship with him. You know, we see that today in the life prayer, reading Lexio Divina, reflection. Uh, so a, a deep and abiding experience of the love of God for us in Jesus and our response in love. And then from there, Jesus sends us out with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. And we do that in action as well as in word. Both are important. We do it by our example, of course. So the good works that we perform, and we are expected to do them, that's Jesus is clear. Matthew 25 and in other places, he expects us to, to respond in practical ways to the needs of our neighbors. But we do that, again, not as a manifestation of human striving or of trying to gain points or even just to make a better world in human terms to get more people fed, which is a good thing to do if that's the minimum we can do. But as disciples of Jesus Christ who now have our identity in him, this is a part of, of who we are. And we hope that in some way those to whom we are sent day by day, whether they're family members, whether they're strangers, somehow experience the life and the love of Jesus in and through us. It might be very clear and, and conscious in some ways. Maybe it's just their introduction to him, and it's not really clear where this goodness is coming from. But it's not coming from me. I'm cooperating in it. But it's my life in Christ that's overflowing in, in these good works. It's what distinguishes us as the body of Christ, as church in the world. We're not simply one institution among many. It's not a mechanism for making things happen. It's, it's not simply an organization. It's the experience today of this unique event of all human history, the coming of Jesus in, into the world, sent by his heavenly Father to redeem us, to redeem mankind across the globe and, and through the generations. Again, the standout term for me in that section was there's the danger of being stripped of the luminous mysticism that is so evident, again, he, he describes Francis of Assisi, Vincent de Paul, and Teresa of Calcutta. Mother Teresa, along with many of her contemporaries who were very active in the world, I, I'm thinking immediately of Dorothy Day and Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who were very present in different ways, but responded to that wit to be a witness of Christ in the world. How did they begin their days? Number one priority, an hour of adoration. Right, and again, this is uh, what's offered and invited for all of us. We have different vocations and different opportunities, different contexts in, in terms of our prayer. But uh, the Lord wants a deeper relationship with each one of us than the one we've experienced so far because there is so much more that he wants to give us, more of his love that he wants us to experience. We have to make ourselves available to experience that, to receive it. And, and then he sends us out. There are a few who are called 
to a contemplative location and who may spend their lives in the enclosure, although they're very connected to the world through prayer and sacrifice in all kinds of ways. But for most of us, we want to spend time with the Lord because constitutive element of our discipleship, but then from our prayer, he sends us out into the world, into the practical responsibilities of our lives, of, of our vocations. And those two things go together, and then, there's, then we come back the next day to, to pray, to be refreshed, to be renewed, and then he sends us out again. So it's the, really the rhythm of life, of the Christian vocation from the very beginning, from the very first disciples, and it, it needs to be the rhythm that we experience in our lives. I think for the Christian, it's an imperative, is it not, that when we do engage with others, and this does touch upon that evangelization that we spoke about earlier, that when people hear us and see us, what they're experiencing isn't so much us, isn't so much me, but it's Christ who dwells in me. St. Paul says, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. They're experiencing him. And that's extraordinarily attractive. There's something they may not even realize what it is, but it attracts them. It causes them to want to know more. And so when we get out of the way and we allow him to work through us, it's a moment of grace for the other. Does that make sense? Of course it's grace. You know, shining through us, that's that luminous quality that the Pope talks about. So people saw it in Francis of Assisi, Teresa of Calcutta. We know people like that. You know, they're living examples of the Beatitudes. We see this poverty of spirit, this meekness, this peacemaker uh, quality, this experience of peace that they have themselves that they're sharing and, and spreading. And if we pause to reflect on it, it does lead us to that question, well, where did that come from? You know, where does she get all that? Well, there's an answer to that, and maybe if someone's open, we have the opportunity to share our experience of our life in Christ. We can't explain it totally, but that's really what the Pope is encouraging us to see is offered in the life of holiness, in, in the call to holiness, that we have this deep rootedness in Christ, that other people experience that in our words, in our actions, in our very presence. And that's what's offered to all of us. We shouldn't try to live a life of holiness in the world without prayer. That would be disastrous. And we're not called to spend all day on our knees, again, as if we could earn God's attention or his love by more prayer. But there needs to be a balance. And that balance uh, it may be a little different for each of us, you know, in the particulars, but the balance is important. And with conversations with others who are on this path to holiness, too, we can begin to understand what the balance is. He also states that the other harmful ideological error is found in those who find suspect the social engagement of others, seeing it as superficial, worldly, secular, materialist, communist, or populist. Or they relativize it as if there are other more important matters, or the only thing that counts is one particular ethical issue or cause that they themselves defend. He is covering a broad expanse in this particular statement. How should we understand this? There are a lot of commentators that are you know, looking at this aspect of the exhortation. I think what, what occurs to me at, at first is the temptation, and it's, I think um, it's an understandable temptation in, in our time, to let uh, political categories, that political way of looking at things and of approaching things, leach into our life of faith. There's a temptation, understandable enough, to see everything in political terms 
and to categorize ourselves and, and others. And so the Pope is waving us away from that, trying to warn us away from that, to can keep our eye on what's the main thing, what's the mystery that we're being invited into. So the mystery of God's love for us in Jesus, the basis of all of our human relationships as followers of Jesus is an understanding of the dignity of each human person. No person's life or dignity can be sort of bargained or negotiated away or should be ignored away. And like I said kind of in the beginning of this discussion, the Pope is inviting us to a wider and a deeper understanding of what it means to respond to the call to holiness and to live the gospel practically in the world and to take whatever opportunity we have, show the love of Christ to our neighbors to live out the call to holiness in, in a practical way. Naturally, depending on our circumstances, there might be more opportunities in one area than, than in another. So you, you think, for example, of somebody who works in hospice care, a, a Catholic person who's responding to the Lord, has a life of prayer, but uh, day by day has the opportunity to accompany uh, persons who are near death and their families you know, to, to be with them. So that's taking up a big part of that person's time and energy. So do we say to her, well, you know, you're really not living the call to holiness because you're not at the soup kitchen every day feeding hungry people or you're not visiting people in jail. We wouldn't think of doing that. You know, here's somebody who's dedicated to something that's really good. There may be an opportunity to do something else at some, some other point. So maybe that person through her parish has the opportunity to help prepare food for the soup kitchen or maybe there's an opportunity sometime to visit somebody who's imprisoned or lonely in some other way. So we, we never want to shut out a, an opportunity that presents itself. It's a false dichotomy, and I, I haven't ever really experienced it so starkly as it's sometimes stated. But you know what? We sometimes ask, well, are we in the pro-life camp of the church? Or are we in the social justice camp? Well, the, first of all, there aren't camps. We're all in Christ. There's one church, and so we can't think of multiple churches. But as we said when we talked about the heresies, you know, we don't want to claim that there's some sort of exclusive path to holiness. And then if you're not on this particular path exactly the way that I am, that somehow you're deficient and that I'm better. But really my experience has been that when disciples of Jesus are active in one aspect of the life of the church and really dedicated there, that they're also very open and supportive of the dignity of human persons across the board. So the Pope has his own experience, of course, and I appreciate him reminding us of this. I think as more and more we listen to Jesus and are rooted in him, then I think some of these camps or categories or tendencies would naturally fall away. But any time we're tempted to think that's, you know, that I'm either I'm better than somebody else or that I can look down on somebody else because they don't have the same understanding as I do, that's not good. Again, as I say, my experience, I've been a priest and a bishop a long time. Those who are open to the grace of God and generous in their response can usually be counted on to be generous and in lots of ways, and supportive of others. You know, I'm not the hospice worker, but I hope as a pastor, you know, through my preaching and through other ways that we have of encouraging each other in the church, that I can help offer support and accompaniment to the person who is doing that day by day and having a, a tremendous effect on the lives of, of those that she's touching. This concludes part two of our conversation on Gaudete et Exaltate, the apostolic exhortation from Pope Francis. Next time, We'll discuss Chapter 5, The Spiritual Combat, Vigilance, and Discernment. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, 
visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. George Lucas